Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Uh, my guest today is John Arendez. John, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, Earl. Yeah, no, this is going to be a great conversation. And what I want my listeners to know before we get into it is John is the CEO of Trelion, a provider of online compliance training that helps organizations create ethical workplace cultures of respect and inclusion. He has over 25 years experience growing successful organizations and leading teams, both remote and in-person, in the software and compliance training industries. Now, I'm really curious with that background and that level of experience, when you hear the words responsible leadership, what do they mean to you, John? Yeah, it's a great question, Earl. And, and you know, responsible leadership means to me is making sure that First of all, you as a leader are leading by example, um, by demonstrating what you want to see from others. And to me, that's probably the biggest part. So when we think about responsible leadership from my perspective, uh, it's really about showing accountability, integrity, and trust. Um, And so when I work with folks and and work with my leadership team, what I ask of them is always hold yourself accountable, always have the highest integrity and always trust those around you. And when what I find has worked for me is when you do that, uh, those that work with you um, throughout the organization or throughout just, you know, outside of business, uh, you tend to see those folks gravitate to to you but also they, they want to emulate the behaviors that they're seeing from you. And my goal ultimately is for those folks that um, I get to work with every day, um, or maybe not every day, that, that at some point they take the next step in their leadership journey, uh, without, whatever that may be, whether it's in business or in, in philanthropy or other areas of their life. So for me, that's really what responsible leadership looks like. No, I like that answer a lot. And, and it, it hits on a lot of themes that I talk about on this show. And I talk about in my practice with my, my Marine Corps background, that setting the example that knowing you were always on display, uh, that is such a critical piece of leadership. And especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's uh, and it's an important aspect of it. And, you know, in today's environment, um, you know, there's so many aspects of DEI that you have to think through. Um, 
from your own viewpoint, but from other viewpoints. And as a leader, you have to be able to um, decipher and segregate your own personal views and be able to look at the other side of the prism uh, to really understand that person's view. And to me, that's a that's a big part of leadership. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, before we kind of go a little bit further down this road, you know, I've shared my story on here before with listeners about growing up in Northeast Tennessee, uh, everybody around me looking just like me, believing like me, uh, you know, doing the same things that I did. You know, there was a lot of uh, uniformity in my small town in Northeast Tennessee. And then it wasn't until I left to go to boot camp and join the Marine Corps that I saw all these different cultures and, and ethnicities. And I really got intrigued and interested in in diversity at that point i'm kind of curious what's your origin story there what got you passionate about diversity equity and inclusion well you know i grew up in new york city um uh, i'm a a new york city kid went to public school all the way through grammar school through high school um we were uh, very diverse to say the least um you know, my teammates that I wrestled with in high school, we uh, we were all different. Um, and so for me personally, it was it's been an interesting journey to see how uh, our society has 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 changed and looked at things um, growing up in New York City. You, you sort of you didn't look at it that way. We if, if you if you were to hear the things we called each other as kids today, people would be would be shunned or, or uh, flabbergasted. Uh, but for us, that was just who we were as boys. I will say boys growing up and kids growing up. And um, we didn't really look at, did we have some of the issues that you saw that we see today? Certainly. Um, but it, but for me, um, just growing up in, in that type of environment, my, uh, my mom was a single mom. Um, you know, my dad wasn't around. So I grew up with a lot of kids that we all had very similar issues. So um, I've taken that experience and sort of put that to my own um, way of looking at things and helping others look at it and, and share that experience. So uh, a bit different, Earl, but but one that uh, was was very valuable, especially in, in this day and age. Yeah, no. And you make some great uh, points there, especially about the time, right, is is. You know, growing up, even when I got into the Marines, you know, like like you said, there was a lot of stuff that we said to one another that that you would be and rightfully so, uh, you know, kind of ostracized from from uh, organizations uh, today. But we have grown and, and you know, I always look back and, and think about some of the some of the jokes that we told in the in the Marines, in the units and some of the comments that we made and, and always try to to you know, think about the impact that I was having on somebody that I never knew. And, and for me, I think that's a lot of the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion training is, is opening people's eyes up to knowing what they don't know. Uh, how, how would you take that statement? Yes, I, I think that's, that's fair. Um, and, I, you know, when I look at that today, and, and I would say that um, my generation, again, those that, that to your background and my background, where we didn't grow up, some of us didn't grow up in diverse uh, areas. And then you look at today's generation, I'll use my daughter as an example. Uh, my daughter, who's 22, just graduated, 
she looks at some of the things that we have done in the past as a society and goes, well, what the heck is wrong with you people? <laughs> so uh, I, I have hope that our future, uh, that these conversations of DEI are going to be less unique um, and, and more of, of, well, how are we getting better every day? Yeah. No, I like that piece. It's, I'm, I'm a big fan of that, that Kaizen concept, right? Continuous improvement for good. And I think that's really it. And, and on that note, you know, and I'm sure you probably ran into this in the early days of, of doing uh, DE&I training. Uh, as I had one person tell me that the first DE&I training they went to, it was all about uh, blaming uh, what they called the stale, pale male. Uh, but it, even diversity and inclusion training has has moved on quite a bit beyond the blame game, right? Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, here, here's what we have to really look at in terms of when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, people use the word diversity, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of organizations, when they roll out these programs, um, they're, they're looking at still through a single lens meaning they're, they're looking at just one side of the coin because that's what people want to hear. And what makes this, you know, this country great and, and, and is that we're all different, right? Growing up in New York City was a melting pot. Um, and um, I say that, you know, we have to be able to listen uh, to what we don't want to hear. And we have to be uh, understanding or at least looking at the view of others to help with that diversity journey journey, because one, it'll help us educate that individual or again, diversity, as you look at it from an organizational standpoint, uh, help helps with uh, different ideas again. And, and it gets a very sensitive topic when you get into those areas because people say, well, you know, they get a little, a little extreme. Well, do you accept hate speech? No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about different views, political views, uh, ideas. It doesn't mean that they're, they're right or wrong on either side. And so that's what we as an organization, as organizations, we have to get better at doing it, that, doing that and listening. And I think we, we try to put that into our training uh, as well. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good segue into kind of the question I wanted to ask uh, next is because, you know, as, as uh, you know, we see more and more organizations take diversity, equity, inclusion uh, more seriously. And, and uh, they do, I agree with you, tend to focus on those, quote, traditional diversity metrics. But, uh, you know, we got to throw in like cognitive diversity and, and things like that. But as these organizations come out and and profess more and more to say that they believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. It seems like, you know, you can't go more than a week or so of, of hearing in the news about a company that doesn't actually believe in those things based off of what their employees are saying. So how can we get organizations to kind of align their diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, initiatives with what they say that they're supposed to be? Well, that's the that's the sixty six thousand dollar question there. Uh, <laughs> uh, it starts with leadership, right? I mean, it, at the end of the day, um, you know, the the leaders of the organization are certainly going to communicate um, 
how they believe, and, and it's a slippery slope, right? Uh, you know, I've had to deal with this myself as an organization. And uh, I think as a leader, you always have to be thinking about all of your employees. And so how do you get that message down is you have to, you have to be communicative to your organization with ideas uh, that help people understand why you're doing this training. It doesn't say there's a right or wrong. You, you and I, you know, I've talked before this is there's no right or wrong to the answer of responsible leadership. I don't know if there's a right or wrong in the sense of helping people uh, understand diversity, understand equity, understand inclusion. And I think you said something very interesting. You know, I think diversity, we get a lot of times um, focused on just uh, a lot of organizations focus on, on race. And, but their social economical economic views. Um, I'll give you my own personal story is, you know, I was once my, my career, uh, I started out in investment banking. Uh, I worked for a major bank and this is back in the eighties where things were much different. Uh, but I was told I couldn't move into uh, an account manager role because my family name and my family didn't come from money. Interesting, right? Yeah. There's a there's a different way of discrimination, but we don't think about that. We don't think about that in terms of diversity. We think well, so. My my the the point here is is that leaders have to help uh, their employees understand how diversity helps the organization and their and their leadership team understand. There's one. There's many sides of diversity and how we can make sure people are included as a part of that. You know, one of my one of my uh, things is is in terms of inclusion is we want to make sure as a company we're helping folks with disabilities. Uh, I'm very passionate about our veterans. Um, you know, having lived by West Point for the past 30 years, uh, seeing the sacrifices and what folks in our military do and help them transition is a big part of uh, my diversity and inclusion and equity program. Right. So it's all those things. So hopefully that helps your listeners get an idea. Yeah, no, I, I hope so. And and if it doesn't, just to kind of reiterate uh, a little bit there, uh, you know, what John's talking about is, you know, the, the diversity of diversity, uh, right? These things are, are anything that makes us different from uh, from other people is is a dimension of diversity. You talk about socioeconomic uh, names. Uh, I, I talk about, I do a, a bit of training on unconscious bias in the hiring process. And if you look at the research, folks like uh, Dr. Daniel Kahneman and Dr. John Barge have done on unconscious bias. You know, it's something as simple as did the did the applicant go to a rival to your alma mater? Right. That plays in. It may be a very small fractional piece, but that plays in and how you judge that person. Uh, the, the area code they came from. You're going to judge somebody differently if they came from, uh, you know, a Bel Air uh, uh, area code versus, you know, say a Northeast Johnson city, Tennessee area code, right? You have connotations that go with those locations. And so I think what you're saying there, John, is extremely valuable because the more we understand all those different dimensions of diversity and inclusion and equity, uh, you know, the better our work environments are going to be, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, those are all different aspects we have to think of, as we go, and, and, and you know, I would suggest to, 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 to your listeners, you know, uh, I read the Harvard Business Review every day. Uh, they have some really powerful articles that I think are, um, 
you know, diverse in sort of their, their views. Uh, I also suggest, you know, uh, Corn Ferry is another great organization. They put out some really interesting things that make you think about these areas uh, in a multidimensional way. And I think as leaders, that's what we have to do more than ever is we have to be constantly educating ourselves uh, and understanding our constituents, our, our, the people that, that are in our environment, um, an example of that. So um, I just finished my MBA. I went back for my MBA at 52 years old, uh, just finished it up three years. Um, and it was because my daughter challenged me, right? And it was the best thing I ever did because as a leader, I got to go back to school with people in their late 20s and 30s and even some that were my age, which was great. But what that allowed me to do uh, was to be able to hear what was important. What 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 is important to them for the leaders they work with? What do they look for in their companies? And so my suggestion to, to those that are listening is, you know, in this world, in this day and age, um, it, although it's challenging at times, you know, you, you got to set some time every day to to think about and, and listen to and, and read um, thing and listen to podcasts like this, you know, what, what is the, what is that new generation that's coming up in the work environment that's important to them? Yeah. And you gave no. some great examples, uh, on some of the, the folks that you, you, you know, things that you've read. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Uh, you know, I, I agree, uh, especially with the abundance of podcasts out there. There are a lot of great shows out there right now. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and you touched on a lot of a lot of great stuff there. And you know, one of the things I talk about is one of the shields of the phalanx is introspection and improvement in listeners. Uh, that's what John was talking about there, right? Take the time, get to know yourself. Why do you feel the way you feel about this person at work? Uh, and and what can you do to, uh, as I put it, calibrate your decision making to take that into account? Because it's really all a bias is is a preference. Uh, it's not good or bad. A bias is a preference. Sometimes they can be good. Sometimes they can be bad. But it's just a preference for or against something. You have to know where you lie on that spectrum. Uh, but I'm really kind of curious here. You know, we talked about training a little bit, but I'm, um, you know, things have changed so much, right? In 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 the last 25 years, we're we're kind of uh, pretty much in the same time frame there. And you don't really have to go out and, and have a classroom and talk to people face to face anymore. You can do this stuff online. Uh, and I'm kind of curious, like, what is it that Treliant does that is is different and engaging and, and is really kind of changing the game of diversity, inclusion and equity type training? Yeah. And, and you know, the Treliant, so Treliant does so, you know, does the DEI training, but we do so much more. We're, we're so focused on as well as compliance, anti-harassment, codes of conduct. Uh, so it's it's a multi-dimensional organization. And when the company was founded, I'm not the original CEO. Uh, I had been brought in as part of the the, the uh, investment in the company by PSG. But, um, you know, the tagline uh, was boring to brilliant. And uh, Andrew Ross, and who's who's one of the founders, uh, you know, created that. And having been in this industry, you know, the idea of boring to brilliant is comes from you know we've thought about these trainings and whether they were codes of conduct, DEI, and harassment. But they were like you'd sit there with your eyes glazed over. And really, what what Treliant has done is taking you know um, engagement to a different level by using really professional. Um, the professionally produced uh, videos like a, a Netflix experience 
where you get to know the characters. We we wind up doing every year a new season of our anti-harassment training. Uh, we do, and we take those videos and we incorporate them and develop some new ones within to the DEI training, as well as into data security. So it's uh, it's a broader experience for the user that uh, that we do in 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 developing scenarios and engagement and allowing the experience of the learner. Uh, to want to take the training, and we get that constant feedback from our from our customers saying, "Hey, uh, we had one uh, uh, VP of HR say I've never gotten an email around my compliance training telling me that they actually enjoyed taking it and looked forward to the next season." Uh, right there is a great testimonial because I never heard that before either. Quite honestly, yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. I remember uh, going into a training uh, one one time and. Uh, you know, I like to to ask the question, you know, what is the thing that will make this successful for you? And uh, I had one lady, uh, she, she raised her hand and she says, can you be done in eight minutes? I said, I tell you what, if you're ready to leave at eight minutes, feel free to leave. Uh, we got through our, our two hour session there and that lady's still there asking questions. Uh, you know, and I'm sitting there like, okay, this, this was good. She, she went from wanting to be out in eight minutes to sticking around and looking for extra time after two hours. So, uh, and, and it feels good knowing that you, you've made that, that difference, um, and, and knowing that the training's made a difference. And, uh, I think kind of on that point there talking about differences and talking about diversity, uh, one of the things that I like that you all do that I think is kind of special to Treliant, um, you know, you don't just take a one brush meets all canvases type approach. You kind of tailor the training a little bit for for different industries, healthcare, in the office, manufacturing. Uh, you, you try to tailor the training a little bit to meet all of those different environments because they're diverse themselves, right? Absolutely, uh, and that's and thank you for pointing that out. I think you know one of the things that we like to do is you know, and we've heard this from customers is in the past, um, you know, let's use the anti-harassment training, right? That's the, the one that's mandatory. And really most people will roll that out with the DEI training in, 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 in conjunction. And, uh, you know, if, I'm, if I work in a retail environment, I really don't want to uh, view somebody sitting in an office. And, and that's important because what we do with the development of the different videos within different uh, environmental settings is when a person sees uh, a video, let's say of, of an example or scenario in a retail environment, it tend, it has a relatability to it. And when you have a relatability to a particular scenario, it has an impact on the mind. You'll, you'll remember that because you're paying more attention to it. And when you're in, let's say in the work space and suddenly you, Maybe yourself is about to say an inappropriate joke or or a comment, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, you get triggered a little bit because you realize, oh, that training I just had is in the same environment I am, and so that's really important for a number of our customers. Uh, healthcare being one, the healthcare space is, you know, typically always been very generic. Not many people have done a lot of specific. Uh, either training or environments or things of that nature that are relatable. So yes, we do that quite a bit. And uh, our training, the other point of it is our training is very customizable. And so what, what many of our customers like is that they can easily either insert images of their own work environment or policies and things of that nature. 
Yeah. No, I, and I really, I really enjoy that. And, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, having my background in the Marines, I always get asked a lot, like, you know, why does this matter to you, right? Because we always see the, the you know, stomping, spitting, slobbering drill instructor is kind of like the image of, of the Marine Corps. And people are always really kind of shocked to find out how much, you know, love, empathy, diversity, inclusion, equity really play into uh, military leadership. Uh, you know, I, I've shared this story on here before, but you know, I remember one of the first times I was put in charge of planning a, a group activity. Um, you know, we called them field exercises. Um, and one of my responsibilities was uh, planning uh, lunch. We called them bag nasties when we were doing the field exercises and the chow hall would put them together and you go pick them up. And it was just a brown bag lunch, you know, sandwich cookies and uh, chips or whatever the, the, you know, the, the throwaway item was just for the, the calories for energy. Um, but I didn't take into account this time that, that I had, uh, you know, a Muslim kid in the platoon and I just took the easy route and I ordered all ham sandwiches, you know, who cares what they want to eat? They're going to just eat it. Right. Well, that didn't work out for him. And here's this kid who was busting his hump all day, working just as hard as everybody else. Lunch shows up and he can't eat because I, I messed up. I didn't take that piece into consideration and it was a huge leadership failure. Uh, you know, and, and those are the things that, that are important, not just, you know, in, in corporate America, but while I like you highlight all of the different areas that it's important in every aspect, in every area of our lives up to, and including an environment like the Marine Corps. So I just want to say thank you for being that aware and, and including that type of diversity in your diversity training. Uh, no, and that's a great point, you know, and I think you, you mentioned it, right? You know, we've evolved in terms of our, as leaders of, of to be aware of those um, differences in, 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 in how, how we all are, right? It's a great example. Uh, I, I didn't mention at the beginning, but I spent 12, almost 15 years in the fire service uh, as a volunteer firefighter. Um, and in New York, that's pretty much the volunteer firefighters are the firefighters and EMS. Uh, there's no paid service, you know. Um, and, you know, watching that as I went in uh, to being really a one dimensional environment of just men. Uh, now you're seeing that that fire service um, on the volunteer basis, you know, bringing in a whole group of different people. And although I've been out of it for a while, I still stay in touch. I, I have a lot of friends in, in, in the uh, in the fire and police service. But, you know, we talk about some of this stuff of, of, of how you need to think about those individuals that are in the organization with you. And at the end of the day, you know, you're all going sort of into the into the into the flames together. But outside of that, you have different ways of approaching things or different ways of thinking or culturally, you know, when you have your big barbecue, you have to be thinking about all the different uh, individuals now that, you know, aren't aren't all the same. And it's good. Uh, so great, great story there, by the way. I like I like that. That's a good really point to, that we have to be thinking about in our everyday environments of, uh, of our organizations, you know. Yeah, no, 100 um, percent. And talking about how things have have changed, you know, everybody uh, is pretty much aware that the last two going on two and a half years at this point, you know, we've had this this covid uh, uh, pandemic and and a lot of stuff has changed from being in person to virtual. 
And that doesn't make any of these problems go away at all, does it? No, not at all. I think there was a I think there was a misnomer that a lot of this, uh, oh, I don't need to do this training. I you know, this is all going to go away. Uh, but un- unfortunately, what we saw in uh, in the virtual environment was a number of failings of uh, of individuals we saw in the, the, the professional and will publicize environment. But, but um, I know of, of situations where companies would say, yes, we had a Zoom call and this happened and um, there was the ideas or situations of the virtual bullying, uh, which unfortunately doesn't surprise me in light of, you know, how social media tends to empower people as they sit behind a computer. We saw some of that in the in the virtual environment. Um, I think that, you know, what the good news is, at least from from a number of folks, customers I talk to, uh, you know, they're still there. It's not going to go away, but it's gotten better because I think, again, people have uh have been educated and realized. I also think the stress level to some extent is coming down. I think a lot of people were very stressed and weren't thinking through on, on how the virtual environment worked. But now it's a, it's a great call out. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, kind of going back, you talked before about the socioeconomic things. I think that was the one thing that, that really highlighted that early on in the pandemic as we went uh, more remote is, you know, we just make this assumption that, you know, everybody has unlimited data on their phone. Everybody has high speed Internet. Everybody has a nice computer at home with a camera and all that. And and we found out that that just wasn't true. You know, I mean, for the first year, year and a half of the pandemic, uh, you couldn't buy a webcam because everybody realized that that was something that they needed. Um, and it really showed, I think that may be one of the silver linings from the pandemic is it really showed another dimension of diversity, uh, the, the tech gap or the access to tech gap. And keeping that in mind is, as we came up with some of these, these types of policies and uh, we got more acquainted with uh, the, the whole concept and ideas behind policy mainstreaming. So I'm kind of curious, how much have you seen that going on where people have been paying a little bit more attention to, uh, you know, the tech disparity and, and, and how they need to mainstream their policies so they're not disproportionately impacting one group over another while trying to make things better? Yeah, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, you know, I will tell you the experience we had um, prior to, to, to Trelay and I, I ran a global business. Um in the U.S., we, we found it to be challenging for some folks, not as much as our international folks, um, you know, and, and what we did was we as a company, the company I was with and even at Treliant now, uh, you know, we invest in the in the in the technology. We invest in the uh, in the infrastructure for them to get access to that if we need to. Um and so, you know, there was a bit of that. I, I think what was what I would add was more challenging than technology was that people weren't set up to work from home. Um, you know, let's say the, the 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 folks who maybe had two kids and uh, you know the spouse, both you know uh, individual spouses had to work from home. Well, I only had one room to do it. That I saw it to be more of the challenge. And I think what we needed to do as leaders was to be more flexible. I had folks who was having their kids sit on their lap or be in the, be in the playpen behind them as they were working. And so I think we learned as from a leadership standpoint, one, to be patient with the technology issues, as you pointed out, 
uh, but but also to be really authentic and realize that we all have real lives behind behind the everyday working, and it became more acceptable uh, for folks, which I really enjoy. Um, I love kids, so you know when someone had their kids that, and they would want to apologize, they don't apologize. You know, it's good for them to see what mom and dad do for a living uh, and maybe get a little appreciation. So it worked well. I would say what we saw, um, uh, we're not big as big internationally yet, but where I was prior was internationally, we saw um, of how, how challenged those individuals were with infrastructure. And it, and it sort of made us look in the U.S. and say, wow, we, we you know, although we, we're struggling, it's, it could be worse. So. That was the experience I had from there. But but I think the, the human aspect was the best part, honestly, of getting to be as a leader, uh, accepting of those things. And honestly, I think three years prior or, you know, beforehand, I, I once had a leader tell me you can never work from home to be successful. I think that was proven wrong. <laughs> I agree 100 percent. And and I'm with you. I like the idea of, of encouraging people to have their kids nearby because you know, I had to point out to a couple of folks like, look, you know, you never know when when that kid is watching mommy or daddy work and they get interested and you inspire them to go down this career path. And, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, they're your next star player. And, and you know, that that exposing them to that kind of work environment, who knows, who knows what kind of effect that's going to have as we get some of these younger kids going through this that have been exposed to, uh, to, to what their, their parents do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see what those studies show about, Hey, what inspired you? Well, you know, during the pandemic, I got to watch my mom work and I love what she did. And that put me down that career path. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. I have a daughter, um, uh, uh, you know, a very powerful woman like her mom, and and we're just watching her now after graduating. She's very interested in you know um, what a combination of what both her her mom does and I do in the aspect of uh, investment banking and software. And so she's trying. But but it's great because especially you know young young women young ladies seeing themselves uh, through the eyes of their parents and knowing that they can accomplish anything is so important. Um, and, and not where I've seen the, the you know, again, being a father of a, of a young woman, uh, watching her just say, I can be anything I want to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, an important aspect of all of this, right? You know, a lot of people want to look at diversity, inclusion, equity training as some kind of, you know, touchy feely. This is the thing we're going to do now because it's, it's popular, but it's really not. I mean, yes. Okay. It is popular, but it, it's not why we do it. We do it. Because, you know, organizations talk about having 70% of their employees uh, disengaged. And uh, I think the last number I heard out of that 70% disengagement, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 40% of those folks are actively disengaged. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that you aren't creating the psychologically safe environment that values diversity, equity, inclusion. These people don't feel like they're valued by the organization. So why not be disengaged? Why not be actively disengaged and looking for an environment where I do feel taken care of and psychologically safe, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, when we, when I'll just speak for, for what we do at Trelion, uh, it's really about being communicative. It's transparency. 
Um, you know, we we have an ESG group. Um, you know, we're only 130 employees, but our group is very active. You know, and and I think one of the things to help with that is you know having your employees feel like they have a voice is having other leaders around you that just aren't willing to tell you what you want to hear, but but want it will willing to tell you what you need to improve on and do better at. Um, and, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have that leadership team where, you know, my my VP of HR, Maggie Smith, uh, is just, you know, someone I could go to and say, OK, Maggie, what, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and she'll tell me or, you know, one of my other leaders in, in you know, in sales and uh, whatever that may be. Hey, how do we do better? What what can we do? And we have those open and ended, you know, open conversations where there isn't, uh, hey, you're the CEO and therefore, you you know, I'm, I'm it's only one direction. It's bi-directional. I think as as we think about, you know, uh, DEI, those conversations have to happen at the top and you have to have that uh, transparency and willingness to hear what you don't want to hear to get better. Yeah, no, I love it. At that that's for me that's the number one sign of trouble is whenever you start asking for feedback and everything is 100% sunshine and roses <laughs> uh, yes uh, that that just tells me you don't feel comfortable saying what's really going on right right yeah absolutely so I'm really curious with all of this, as we start kind of, you know, a lot of organizations have really started ramping up reintegration um, and and we're getting some folks like in a lot of instances, you know, hiring has still gone on during the pandemic. We're starting to bring together groups of people who have never met before, uh, who don't really know each other all that well, relatively speaking, over the time frame. Um, and we're going to start seeing a lot of these diversity, inclusion and equity issues kind of come together as we start looking to reintegrate. You know, people have people have canceled daycare because they have been able to work from home. Now they got to find that again. People have reshaped their lives around remote work as we move towards this kind of, you know, whether it is full blown remote, full blown back in the office or a hybrid type of environment for most organizations. Uh, what are some of the things that you see uh, playing out over the next, you know, couple years to maybe five, 10 years down the road when it comes to these topics? Oh, five or 10 years is going to be, I'm, I'm trying to get through the next six months, I think. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll start with that then. <laughs> I think it's so dynamic. Uh, now, um, so first of all, I, I, you know, what what is really changed and we're seeing it from our end, I you know, and I've been thinking about this and I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday. You, you're almost looking at this um, uh, generational um, way of looking at where they want to work. And, and, and we were talking about this yesterday because I use again, I'll use my daughter as an example who's coming out just in the workforce. And we, her and I were just talking about this. And she said to me, yeah, the, the job that they want me to, to, you know, I'm interviewing for, I have several jobs. And, you know, one is uh, three of them are all remote. And then um, but two of them uh, I could uh, work remote, but they, there's an office in this location, but you don't have to go in every day. And she said to me, I want to go to an office. You know, I want to meet people. 
And, and so that made me with this other colleague, we were talking about this is, you know, I think that generation is going to be like, hey, I'm all, I'm all in. Let me go to the office. That's really going to be fun. I want to meet different people. I'll work from home when I want to. I think they're going to be the ones who's, who love the hybrid, right? And, uh, and then there's going to be those that are in, in the tweeners, right? They got kids in there. And to your point, you know, it got, you know, they can make the baseball games. They can make, uh, they're not spending money on daycare. And let's face it, when we look at inflation now and the cost of gas, that's playing a big role in what people are doing. So those folks are, are, are going to be, you know, probably pushing for the remote work, maybe going in one or two days a week if at, at, at most. And then there's probably, I'll put myself in the category where, you know, I'm at the point, I love working remote. We have a company that's 100% remote. Uh, we make it really work well and happy to discuss how we make that really work well, especially from a leadership standpoint. Um, and so I think what's going to be challenging for companies is they're going to have to have that flexibility to think about their, 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 their demographics of their employees and how they all come together in working in different environments and how does a company support those employees? Because I will tell you from a recruiting standpoint, uh, one of the reasons why we were just going through our applicants, we get so many applicants um, here is because people want to, these individuals want the 100% remote. Um, and so it's interesting. I think that's going to, uh, I think for companies, it's going to be really interesting on how you set that up. And if we look down the next 12, 24 months, um, I think that's really what, what companies are going to be thinking about. How do I create satellite offices or how do I create environments that allow my employees that flexibility based on demographics. I know that's a long-winded answer, but but it's a complex one because I, I don't know if there's really the right answer yet, if at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that's one of the things, I'm not sure in, in Florida where you're at, if you've seen these pop up, but I know here uh, in Indiana, around Indianapolis, we've had a lot of, uh, of, of co-working and what they call office suites where you can you know, I can go rent an office in this building month to month for about $400. It's got security, it's got uh, utilities, it's got internet, it's got everything there. And it's a pretty good size office as well for like 400 bucks a month. And, and I think you're right. I think that piece is going to be a, a big piece of, of going forward. Um, you know, so John, we, um, you know, we just crossed over about 40 minutes or so here, but you mentioned you, you wanted to talk about, you know, how you all have made that work uh, 100% remote from the leadership aspect. I think that'd be a, a great way to kind of uh, work on closing this out uh, unless you have another idea, but I think that'd be a great piece to talk about. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so, so the one word on making remote, uh, remote, 100% remote employees work is trust. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, that, that is such an important aspect of how I lead, lead my life, but also from a leadership standpoint, when, when, when you tr trust your employees and you empower them and hold them accountable, but trust is the most, the first step in this, it's amazing how much gets done. Um, and we, you know, we see fantastic productivity. Uh, we have folks that are executing on um, on so many different aspects of our product uh, with our customers, our customer success. And and really, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. And then when we look at our our success in terms of our revenue growth, in terms of our customer satisfaction, more importantly, 
on on how well our customers are are doing and the notes we get from our customers. And that you know we we really you know we we don't have many issues with our employees uh, from a productivity standpoint. Do we have? Yes, and and honestly. Uh, we as an organization will not tolerate those that violate the trust because that then um, permeates through the rest. And, and I will tell you, our, our employees don't want to see that from their from their uh, counterparts. They, they know that this is right now a privilege to be able to uh, work from home, have the flexibility. I encourage my employees you know, do a meeting from your backyard, do a meeting, go, you're put your headset on, go for a walk. Um, you know, there's nothing that we're doing here. That's so critical. you got to be sitting in front of your computer. Just be mindful that you're doing that. And, 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 you know, uh, you know, if a customer, obviously you, you want to be on the, in a video, not walking around, but we, we encourage that. We encourage people to, for their wellness, take two hours out of a day and, or, or an hour out of your day, go work out, do those things. So, because it's trust, because we trust our employees that they're going to get the job done and it works. So uh, if you leave with anything, remember, trust is the number one factor in, in making this work from a remote standpoint. Yeah, no, I, I really, really love that piece there because I really think that's where we're getting. Uh, we're really getting to a point with a lot of organizations. OK, yes, I'll caveat this. There are going to be always going to be professions where you are going to have to be there. You're going to have to be hands on. Uh, But where you can, you know, that 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 trust is is critical. And we got to start as organizations that have that type of environment where we can. What is more important? What gets done or how much time a person puts in during the day? Right. Because I know a lot of people that put in eight hour days that do nothing. And I know a lot of people who work, you know, three or four hours out of the day, like diligently and get a whole lot done. Which one's more valuable to you? Right. Uh, I couldn't agree. Or I had a, I had an old CRO back in my, or this is going back, but he used to, he used to say, I don't care if you make your numbers, you know, uh, sitting on a golf course or make your numbers working 80 hours a week. Just make your numbers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, and then I'll just add one one other thing, you know, the trust aspect, right? When you create that trust environment, it does lead to effective DEI programs because when the employees know they're trusted, they trust you and they're willing to talk more and, and help communicate where there could be issues uh, and you're not, you know, left blindsided. So that trust aspect, whether they're remote or not, is, is so important. I love it. A hundred percent. Well, John, this has been a great conversation so far, and I know people are very excited to find out more about you, find out more about Treliant and uh, the services that you offer there. Uh, what is a good place for them to go look? Sure. Uh, so, of course, uh, Treliant.com, T-R-A-L-I-A-N-T.com uh, is really where you can find all about our courses and so forth. And and certainly for your listeners, if you want to connect, uh, certainly you can uh, find me on, on LinkedIn um, and, and we'd be happy to connect. And Earl would, you know, certainly always enjoy uh, further conversations with you. Absolutely. I think that's something we're going to have to work on is, is having you back here uh, uh, sometime in the future as a return guest, because I think there's a lot that we could still talk about here. So, uh, you know, John, I really want to say thank you very much for spending this last 45 minutes or so with, with me and my listeners. Uh, you've been a tremendous guest, uh, shared a lot of great wisdom and insight, and I really know my listeners are going to walk away 
uh, with a lot more insight into diversity, inclusion, and equity programs, uh, how to handle virtual environments, how to get better training for their folks. And I just want to say thank you again for being an outstanding guest here on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid.